You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. I signal. Foster Care Nation. Listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with just Jason again. You guys know the story. Amanda's out, um, appointments and all that good stuff. Um, since we've taken on the new baby, our life has just gotten so incredibly insane that having our life plus a medically fragile baby is, it's a lot. It's a lot. And so, yeah, she's she'll be back at some point when, when our life is less busy or we'll get 12 more babies thrown at us and we'll both like disappear because it will have eaten us by then and won the battle. So until then, <laughs> we'll, we're just going to go with, with just me and and hopefully some interesting guests. So today I brought you one. I have Andrea Hansen here today. How are you doing, Andrea? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Jason? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. I have a crazy day today where my schedule says every two hours there is something going on and half of them are in different places. So I got time to get something done, hurry, run and go do this and then get there and get that. I mean, we're we're actually looking at something new and interesting for, for the, uh, the littlest one. Um, she is six months old and I found a chiropractor who specializes in uh, pregnant mothers and babies. Wow! And, um, and she has some she has some difficulties around eating. Um, she has a G tube, and so you know she says, "Yeah, there's there's some things we can try," and so we're gonna try that and and see if it helps her. It may or it may not, but we're gonna give it a shot because because that's our job. And even if it just makes us a little crazy busy, that's all. <laughs> so <laughs> well, that's so, yeah. incredible. I hope it works. Yeah, I hope so too. Because I mean, I, you know, we talked a little bit before we started here. I see a chiropractor who like beats me up on a fairly regular basis, and I think he actually enjoys watching me cry. But that's just me. <laughs> that's why he went into the field, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm pretty certain he's been cracking my bones for a decade now. So I think he actually laughs now when he does it. But you know, <laughs> but I can walk when I leave his place, so it's not so bad. But but this one is finding somebody who specializes in pregnant women and in babies is pretty pretty specific and i'm like that's yeah. we're gonna try that we're gonna try something new and see if it works because yeah i mean i know that i'm in better shape after i've been put back into alignment so we'll see how that helps her but we can come here today to talk about chiropractic work i don't think <laughs> so i don't think so i won't <laughs> be very good at that well, hey you know what right about now just about anybody could probably put my back in better shape than it's in but that's a whole different whole different issue so you are here because our conversation around foster care and adoption tends to deal with kids who have lots of craziness in their background lots of stories and trauma and and difficulty and I know that you work with kids with comp oh, not not just kids but you work with people right with with complex trauma Yep, I specialize in complex trauma. So I'm a I'm a, a licensed clinical mental health counselor. That means I went to, you know, get my master's degree and then did all of the training and everything that you need above and beyond that to get licensed. And then after that, I've 
really honed in on complex trauma, which is, yeah, very prevalent with kids who are in foster care. So tell me, um, I know what kids with trauma are because, well, that is my home. Um, mm-hmm. I have lots of that. So what, what, what do you mean when you say complex trauma? Complex trauma is a little bit different than your standard trauma in that it happens over time. Um, and there's not a clear, like, good bu- good guy, bad guy situation. So even an event as simple as adoption, even though it can be a good thing, a very positive thing to give up a child for adoption, and even if that child goes to a wonderful, loving home, that child still experienced a very primal, um, overwhelming situation when they were separated from their Um, just primary caregiver from their mom who they had grown to know during those nine months of being in the womb and then they're separated and at that moment the nervous system doesn't know how to handle that because if if they were in the wilderness and they were left out in the middle of nowhere they would die and that's all the nervous system knows in that moment so the nervous system becomes very overwhelmed and from there just because of the way that the brain develops from the bottom up that can create Um, differences in how that child then behaves throughout their entire lifetime. Okay. So I'm going to ask a question here. I don't know if you have the answer for this or not, but um, I'm going to throw a uh, somewhat a theoretical question at you because I, I I don't like to, to use kids stories that, you know, I can't, I can't tell kids stories are identifiable or anything like that, but Mm -hmm. I know lots of people and I know lots of stories. So the phone call says that, hey, there's a baby here, and this baby has was born in the NICU. Mom left the hospital when she was born, and the state has been petitioned three times before they'll, they've agreed to let us go look for somebody to help this baby, come see the baby. Um, since you have somebody in your house who's biologically connected, um, could you do this, right? And you find out that this baby was born addicted to a number of substances, and in the NICU without a visitor for 45 days. Is that the sort of, I assume that's the sort of stuff you're talking about here, right? Yes. That's complex trauma so that you don't remember it. And that's what we, a lot of times we think like, Oh, well, kids are young. Kids are resilient. They're going to be fine. They're not going to be able to remember it. But trauma isn't something that you remember. Things that we remember are higher up in the brain. And in moments of a lot of distress, The thalamus, which is the part of the brain that mixes all of our different sensations together and forms it into a memory, kind of like a gourmet chef creating a meal, it gets disrupted. So what we're left with instead of a solid memory is uh, different random sensations or emotions or negative thoughts about ourselves that don't seem to fit into any kind of context. So trauma, it's not something that we you know, just are thinking about over and over and over again, I just can't remember and constantly having nightmares about it, that can be part of trauma, especially if you experience trauma later in life. But with complex trauma, it's more about how do the events in your life, even if they weren't done it purposefully badly to harm you, how did the events in your life uh, impact your nervous system and your brain development in a way that now you're experiencing addiction or even symptoms of ADHD or bipolar, borderline, so many of those um, diagnoses that you find in the mental health field. So many of them are based in how your brain changes from trauma, even things like self-harm, not eating, 
having dysfunctional relationships, all of that kind of stuff is differences in how the brain is formed from trauma that happened oftentimes years and years prior to actually seeing the behavior. So as, as foster parents, there's a lot of, a lot of foster parents out here listening. And obviously, you know, we're foster parents here as well. And we have seen a lot of these, these kids come to our house and we usually know a portion of the traumas. I mean, there's, we've had kids who, who stayed with us who I know there's way more to their story than they've ever told anybody, you know, that that's buried in the, whether it's intentionally or it's subconscious, it's been buried back in the brain somewhere. Um, something that happened that they may remember something that happened that they don't remember. But how do we, as, as the foster parent, like I'm not the replacement dad. I can't be that. I know that much. I know mm-hmm. that all I can really do is just create an environment where a kid can begin to to heal some of those things. But other than that, what can I do to help these kids when they show up at my house with lots of stuff going on and I may or may not know it. They may or may not know what's going on. You know, my little guy, uh, my little boy, he's, <clears throat> I love the kid to death. I love the kid to death. He is amazing. And he, he's, he's got some, some significant connection to ADHD, right? Like he's, this boy is, he is running a hundred miles an hour when his eyes open in the morning. And some days it'll make you want to like, come on kid, take a breath. Some days it's amazing. He is the happiest little guy sometimes in ways that you just, people would not believe it. I've seen this kid wake up out of a dead sleep laughing. And I'm like, what? (laughs) I wake up like cursing. I hurt so bad. I'm trying to you think, do I want to get out of bed or do I just want to lay here and die for a few more hours? You know, but he wakes up laughing some days. It's amazing to watch. But there's there's the upside and there's the downside too. So how do we help kids like that who've been through so much, even, even when they don't know what it is a lot of times? It, it is so hard. It's so hard. And, and even just, you know, the fact that you are here and the listeners are here, you know, listening to this podcast and that in and of itself is a, a huge thing that you're doing for these kids, just having your home open and inviting them into your home and trying to do better. Right. That's incredible. And then, you know, of course, a major priority is taking care of yourself, making sure that you are, getting rest, getting nutrition, getting movement, just those kind of pillars of wellness. And then beyond that, uh, you know, whatever it takes between going to therapy or doing yoga, doing those different things that you need to be able to be there for someone else. We can't, we just can't be there for other people all the time unless we're, we're being there for ourselves. And that also models and children it, you know, the whole monkey see, monkey do thing is is very relevant if, with humans of all ages, especially children. We can't preach something that we're not practicing. If, you know, if the kids see you acting certain ways, they're going to then start navigating that way themselves and they have to see safety. And one way that we as other humans find safety in other people is how that person behaves and feels on a regular basis. Kids are so intuitive. So if you're acting happy, but they can feel like something's off or they feel like you're on edge, that that's going to be confusing for them. That's going to feel dishonest for them and they're not going to trust you. So you absolutely have to take care of yourself. Then beyond that, when it comes to taking care of the kid, 
you know, there's lots of books out there to to read about, you know, them being loved and books about their emotions. Those kinds of kids books are really incredible. But when we look at trauma, what we find is that it's really not in the part of the brain that uh, talks and thinks. It's much lower than that. So focusing on the sensory systems is really important and how you can focus on the sensory systems is doing things like spinning in circles together, um, standing on their head, uh, letting them roll up in a burrito, in a blanket, so that they're experiencing a lot of pressure. Doing things like playing hide and seek, where they are able to go into a closed, confined space, and then you find them. And that also helps with that attachment of, I'm gone, but I'm I'm being found. There's lots of different ways that um, that sensory experiences can be incorporated into regular play. It doesn't have to be like, oh, this is your therapy time, and now we're we're going to help your trauma through sensory. It's, it can just be like, oh yeah, let's go into a field and spin in circles until we fall over. <laughs> you know, my uh, one one of my kids sees a play therapist. And, and I've noticed that's something she has a lot of in, in her office. Uh, one of the things she keeps is, oh my God, I'd be terrified to have this in my house. But she keeps a large, probably four foot by two foot, probably a foot deep tub of sand. Oh, nice. And <laughs> she, she she works at her offices in a it's a retrofitted old home with wood floors so I assume that makes it easier because my god if that was on the carpet <laughs> but, but she does a lot of stuff with the sensory things and I've seen my kids go through uh, so much stuff uh, my, my one little guy if he could every day he would go to school wearing nothing but the super soft pajamas like I mean we're almost at the point where I'm I'm willing to just send him to school in PJs every day. Yeah, PJ day like once a month there at least. So why not just let him go? And you know, as long as you're wearing clothes, that's what matters, right? But that's something for him. You know, he he doesn't want to wear jeans. You know, jeans yeah. hurt. He says. Yeah, and that's that's okay. Yeah, that's awesome. He has clothes that he likes to wear, and it's perfect for him. And that you know yeah that um even playing in sand so kids in general well humans really but brain stuff mostly happens when you're a kid the gray matter in your brain grows when you're interacting with your environment when you're playing so have sitting down and like talking about things and working through things now that's that should be like two percent of what it looks like to help a kid who's gone through trauma. The rest is very interactive, very, very active, right? Even um, developing a sense of safe touch is really important. So helping them put lotion on their hands, just rubbing some lotion into their hands, um, not anywhere else on their body because that could be unsafe for them. Hands are usually relatively neutral. Um, And then of course, paying attention to those body cues if they're uncomfortable with it um, to, to allow them to put lotion on themselves. But there can be very simple just routines throughout the day. And then routines is another really important thing when it comes to stabilizing our brains. And that is not to say to be rigid. I've definitely seen routines go way too far and consistency way, go way too far into rigidity of these exact things have to happen at this exact time. And if not, then, then nothing's going to be okay. That, that creates um, a lot of anxiety 
at the end of the day, if the routine changes, which if these kids are in foster care, the routine is going to change. So flexibility within that routine. But in general, you know, there's might be a few things that you do before bed or some things that you do before dinner that are pretty regular just to help them um, get into a rhythm within their body. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've seen a lot of routine really help kids, you know, and I don't understand ex- all the ins and outs of exactly why, because my psychology PhD is uh, written in crayon by myself. <laughs> it's, <laughs> purely ex- do it. <laughs> it's an exper- experiential PhD. Um, I've been taught by a lot of kids. And so I, I know that it's there and I see, I see the benefits of certain kids, especially or benefit from it. But, um, but I don't always understand why it works. And quite frankly, I don't understand why a lot of things work the way they do. I know if I put gas in the car, it'll, it'll go. And if I don't put gas in the car, it won't go. Now I'm not going to explain to you the intricacies of the internal combustion engine. I mean, I know there's rods and pistons and I know the basic idea how it works just because I'm a boy who has plenty of friends who are like motorheads and love that stuff. Not me. I'm not that guy. I don't know how to increase the horsepower of your car other than buy a car with more horsepower. That's what I do. <laughs> but, but you know, I know, I know that it works. And so I do the things that I know work. And here, I think here's a real struggle that I think we found in our, in our experience is in our home, we have become kind of, kind of good at this stuff, right? We, we've had enough kids. We, we're sitting at about 30 something, 30 kids or so who've come to our house. We've seen lots of stuff. We figure out lots of things at work. And, and we, you know, we figured out all the, the important parts and pieces. Like I got to have my own stuff worked out beforehand uh, because I can't, I can't walk in with my trauma and let my, throw my trauma at theirs and think it's going to turn out well. You know, but when I send them to school sometimes, these, the school district that we're in claims to be trauma informed. That, the, I guess they say they're trauma informed. I'll put it that way. But in my experience, um, I think they've had an intellectual information given to them. I don't think a lot of them understand it experientially, what it means to have kids of trauma in their life, you know, in their classroom. And, you know, and the best way I know to describe this is I know a young lady who, who went through some incredible trauma from the age of about eight till I think 13 or 14 years old, roughly. Um, She was regularly systematically raped by her stepfather and his brother. And, she dealt with that trauma beginning at eight years old. Now, when she went to school the next morning, I'm going to bet she was not the model student. She was not the kid that the teachers wanted in her in their classroom every day when, when that was going on. I, I bet you that she probably even got some trouble from what happened after her behaviors trying to figure out how to deal with that. And I can't blame her for it. But these uh, so, many, so many teachers don't understand the ridiculous prevalence of this, how, how bad some of this stuff really is in our world, how many kids are going through this drama, and trying to, to take these kids and help them sometimes just plain survive through school. Yeah, yeah, that is awful. That is awful that she experienced that. And you're right, the school systems, they're not trained. Teachers aren't aren't really trained to know the science and it would be very difficult because there are just so many signs you know this girl that you're describing she could react through dissociation and just 
going to sit there looking at the teacher, looking like she's paying attention, but not actually retaining anything that the teacher's saying at all. She could react through perfectionism and really throw everything into that and intellectually, you know, just dissociate by being completely intellectually driven while everything else in her life fades into the background. She could be, you know, have that more um, hyperactive reaction where she can't sit still and she's getting up and she's wandering around and she's talking whenever. There are so many different ways that people react to the trauma that they're experiencing. So it's really hard for teachers to know what they're looking at. But there, there is a really big wave of um, trauma right now where it's become quite popular to say so there are, I just see people saying that they're trauma-informed all over the place, but they don't, what does that mean, right? Does it mean they've heard of the concept of trauma? Does it mean, like, wh- at what level are they trained to handle these? And I think it's important to be able to ask the administrators and the teachers about these kinds of things when you're working with kids with uh, who are in the foster care, who have, you you know have been through these things and um you know, see what they have on hand. Some schools have an occupational therapist on hand, and that's awesome. A lot of times we think of mental health therapy when it comes to trauma, and that's great. And also occupational therapy does wonders for kids who are experiencing trauma. So if your school has an occupational therapist, see what can happen to to make it so that your kid can go see that occupational therapist maybe a couple times a week. So they can take breaks from classes and go swing on a swing if they need to, or do whatever it is. Sometimes they have big, uh, like pressure rolly things that kids can go through. There's all kinds of really great resources out there um, for these kids. And then also what kind of like sensory devices can they have in class to help them regulate or stay present, whether that's, you know, a little ball to sit on and wiggle around or rubber bands around their feet that they can put pressure against that talking to the administrators and talking to the teacher and helping them, you know, if they're trauma informed, hopefully that means they are interested in helping, but maybe they just don't know how. Yeah. And, and that's so far been a little bit of our experiences that trauma informed means that they're informed that there's trauma and that's about the size of it. And, and they don't really know. And, and partly I get it. If you're teaching a classroom with 30 kindergartners, my God, you have a lot to manage. You know, yeah. you're hurting cats already. <clears throat> but that doesn't mean that, that this kid's struggles don't go away. You know, and for, for every kid who's in the foster care system, there's at least one of the kids in that classroom who's gone through the same thing, who just hasn't been caught into the system yet. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, the young lady I was describing, she was never... She was never put into the system anywhere. Nobody ever saved her. Yeah. Like she, she grew up her entire life with this. As a matter of fact, I met her when she was in, in her early 20s. And, and I suggested to her that like, it'd be a good thing for you to see a therapist. And she almost looked offended. And she says to me, what, do you think I'm crazy? Mm. I looked at her and I'm like, girl, you know I got a guy, right? So e- either either I'm crazy or you're just as crazy as me. How about that? You know, therapy doesn't need to, to be this, this horrible stigma that, that it means that there's something super wrong with you. It just means that something happened in your life that you might need a third party to look at and, and help you reprocess some of that. 
Oh, exactly. And, and we were talking a little bit earlier, too, about how you know, recently, I think COVID had a, a big impact on this, that the stigma around therapy, it does seem to be decreasing. But, you know, in my mind, you have a you have a doctor, you have a dentist, you have a chiropractor, you have, you know, all these different specialists in your life. It's important to also have someone who's there for your mental well-being. Sometimes I think we we think we have more control over our brains than we do like they're all based in our thoughts. And I used to think this way as well uh, growing up. And I had my own traumas growing up. And I was really firmly in the belief that you grow up and you get over it and you move on. <laughs> and even in graduate school, they don't really teach a lot about trauma in graduate school. I was there for three years. And, you know, we learned a lot about diagnosing and a lot about um, talk therapy skills, but we didn't all the different theories, you know, Freud, Jung, um, all of those different guys, but we didn't really learn a lot about the neurobiology behind everything. So that's something that when you look at the diagnoses, they don't have any kind of explanation behind them. Like, oh, this is what's actually happening neurologically for this to happen. And it wasn't until I started studying complex trauma that I realize like, okay, well, this actually has some really strong science behind it. And it has nothing to do with growing up and getting over it. It's, it's so much more influential than that. And I noticed it myself going to different therapists where I would, you know, they'd want to talk about everything, and they'd want to help me change my thought process about stuff. And after a while, that became the kind of like felt like a a game like sure we can change my thought process like that doesn't do much for me like I can I'm capable of thinking of things from multiple different perspectives but then at the end of the day how does that actually help you know these these deeper down um, emotions and urges and um, thoughts that just are very overwhelming that yeah I can maintain my life I can keep moving forward I'm a very functional human but I there's something that's not okay and it wasn't until I started really studying complex trauma that that all clicked. And that made sense for me of like, okay, that is because it's deeper down in the brain than my thoughts and my ability to function. Um, but, and I, I hope that as more of that science gets out there, that it also helps further destigmatize that if you are experiencing symptoms, even years after having gone through traumatic events, there's research out there, it's called ACE, A-C-E research that shows that, you know, 30 years after experiencing trauma, a lot of times people will experience, um, you know, weight management issues that they just cannot get under control. Or, you know, 40, 50 years, people start experiencing heart issues, uh, heart disease or strokes. And it's it ties it back very strongly to that trauma. But it's not a matter of if you're strong or if you're weak or if you're capable of getting over it or moving on, it's a matter of, you know, you're in a human body and that human body was impacted and it, you see a specialist to help it move through that and realign. You know, I love that you mentioned that I'm currently reading a book. Um, I say reading what I really mean is listening to, because I can't sit still long enough to read a book anymore. I have too much stuff. But I, I when I'm driving, I'm listening to a lot of stuff through Audible and that kind of thing. And and um, <clears throat> there's a book by a Dr. Chris Palmer, which no relation to this Palmer over here. But, you know, um, Chris Palmer has a book. Um, it's called Brain Energy. 
And I'm going to tell you, like, I got, this isn't a guy with like a crackpot with a, with an idea. He's got 30 years at the hospital at Stanford or Yale or something like that. He's got, he's got experience in research and he is tying together a lot of interesting things. Like the fact that if you are diagnosed ADHD, the chances of you being diagnosed with another mental disorder somewhere along lines go up exponentially. The chances of you being diagnosed with diabetes or some sort of metabolic disorder down the road go up exponentially. Autoimmune diseases are also, you know, hugely more uh, diagnosed among people. Like these things all seem to have this bi-directional connectivity and and he has an idea as to where he thinks it might be happening Uh, the book is called brain energy and he talks about how mitochondria work and uh, you've had way more years in in school than i have and i guarantee you he's probably going to hurt your brain too because the first 10 chapters was like neurobiology 101 201 i think we had 401 in there too it was some pretty pretty deep stuff to, to try and understand but to see that kids of trauma basically what i boiled the whole the whole thing down to was kids of trauma are way more likely to develop more than one mental disorder and metabolic dysfunction like diabetes and things like that and autoimmune diseases things like that and that shows up in your life because the mitochondria are affected by the stuff that happens to us yes. and kids who who have experienced that you know the the foster and adoptive community are more likely to see much higher prevalences of these things because they've been through more stuff. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it does. It does impact us on the cellular level. And there's been, there's been decades of research on complex trauma and how it impacts our systems in different areas of our symptoms, even down to our, um, our cells that like you were saying, the autoimmune diseases, the inflammatory stuff, a lot of that, um, there is hard evidence that shows that early developmental trauma can lead to that. And, and you mentioned something that, that I, um, feel very strongly about based on uh, my experience and the research that I've read. And that's the, you know, experiencing more than one mental disorder. So the, the DSM, the book that has all of the mental disorders in it, it's a very, very large book and it's ever changing. It was originally created in the 1980s by a group of psychiatrists who wanted a common language and wanted to legitimize the field of psychiatry. But they knew at that time that these were theories. These were not actual diseases. They were just theories. And then they were going to keep researching them and see if they could get some validity behind the theory. So validity is basically um, the, being, being able to prove that what you think you're seeing is actually what you're seeing. Um, so they they created the DSM-3. It was pretty small. And they've been doing research ever since. And since then, there's been the DSM-4, the 4TR, the 5. Now we're on the 5TR. Um, TR stands for text revision. So then... Uh, for each of those, there has been diagnoses added, there's been things moved around, but consistently, consistently, the validity has not been found for the diagnoses and the interrelated reliability as well. So if you take a couple of different experts on the DSM and you have them each try to diagnose the same clients, they get different results. 
So the DSM is not a great book. The diagnoses that we currently have aren't valid. They don't, they don't quite make sense. They're great as far as having a common language. Like when you say ADHD, I have kind of a broad understanding of what that could mean. There's a lot of different ways to get the diagnosis of ADHD. It can look really different for really everyone, but at least we have some kind of common language to use. But it's important. It's so important. And when you're you're a parent of a kid who's going through trauma, it's so important to not over pathologize them, to not say, oh, okay, well, you have this disease. Because it's it's just not accurate. It's not valid. And then we're we're setting them up in a system that goes um poorly a good amount of time so I've worked with kids at different ages and adults as well and I've worked with really severe cases of you know kids who are in inpatient facilities in Utah for extended periods of time even up to like two years I've worked with adults who are coming out of the prison systems I've worked with adults who are inpatient for you know heroin and meth addiction so I've seen a lot of the outcomes and what I've noticed consistent, consistently is when we take a kid in to a outpatient clinic and they get labeled with, you know, ODD, uh, which is a really common one for kids with trauma, that opposite, oppositional defiance disorder, then that shifts everybody's mind around them. Everybody who knows this kid has ODD to, oh, this kid is, you know, a bad kid. They're probably going to have conduct disorder. They might be antisocial. It's like this kid is diseased and this kid has a disorder and that is a chronic illness for the rest of their life. Or, um, you know, for, for example, um, just as a, as a trajectory, you know, a kid who is diagnosed with ODD early on and then the trauma keeps compiling because of the people who are interacting with this kid as if they are the problem, as if they do have just this something wrong with their brain. And then they, you know, later on start developing other symptomology that could look like um, in the schizo range, schizotypal, schizotypal, wow, that was hard, schizotypal, (laughs) schizoid, (laughs) schizophrenic, Um, you know, and then they start getting medicated for that, for these other symptoms that are popping up. And then they're so medicated that they don't have any empathy because they don't have any emotions. So then they start looking like they do have contact disorder. And then it it just compiles in this really negative way to where it funnels these kids into being, you know, bad, into being maybe even like psychotic, people fearing about them, them even, you know, going to jail, whatever it is because they're the problem. But if we, you know, take away all of that, all of those labels and that entire trajectory, and we look at, this is a kid who is reacting in a way that makes complete sense based on what they've been through. If we, if we understand the neuroscience, if we understand the kid and where they've gone, what they've gone through, everything that they're doing makes a lot of sense. And it's actually really brilliant for them to have figured out how to navigate all of this. And maybe it's annoying for us. Maybe it's concerning for us. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's really disruptive or maybe it's even harmful. And this kid has figured out how to, how to survive. They figured out how to navigate. And if we try to really focus on that underlying trauma that's impacting them on a cellular level, 
on a nervous system level, instead of over medicating them and over pathologizing them, their trajectory into the future is going to be a hundred times better. I've had a, I had a kid that I, I was working with and he, he was a teenager and um, we, he had worked with so many you know therapists before and he was on that other track. And we started focusing in really deeply on that complex trauma. And now he's, you know, he's in college and he's working towards becoming a therapist himself. And that was not the trajectory that he was on before we started working on that complex trauma. You know, I can see that so clearly, but I think my, my question is this as boots on the ground, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the ones who are in the daily battle, because uh, we're on several like support group type, what, you know, uh, Facebook pages, that kind of thing. I saw a post just, uh, I think it was this morning and gal says they, they brought this sibling group of three boys into their house. They have three bio kids. Um, and, and they're at the point where, you know, no behaviors or anything like that were listed. You know, they weren't told anything about anything. Turns out they were wrong. There's plenty of behaviors and, um, it's coming, it's getting to the point where it's dangerous to have them around their own kids, you know, where stuff is shown up and there's just a lot of physical aggression and stuff like that showing up. And I fully understand the fact that once this kid feels safe enough to start acting out around you, that's, that's probably a good sign that they feel safe enough to show some of that. But at the same time, it's really hard, especially if, you know, you're like us and you have, I have stepkids and bio kids and foster kids and adopted kids. And uh, we even had one who was a, a family placement, if you will, that was never an official placement, just lived in our house and called me daddy and called my wife, mommy. Right. So we've had all these, this wild conglomeration of kids from different places who've lived in our home. And we have to figure out how to walk through this minefield some days. And so knowing that you have kids who come from trauma, who probably have some pretty severe complex trauma in their life somewhere, how do we manage that as we walk through this, this problem of, of keeping everybody safe, sane, and, and maybe even happy if we're having a good day? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a huge challenge. And of course, everything's going to be so individual based on, on what's happening within each specific home. Broadly, and validating the emotion. It's so easy to just quickly want to shut down kids because we want we're we're scared, we're reactive, we're defensive. As adults, we have our own stuff that we're that's going on. We're busy, right? So we just want whatever's happening to stop. Um, and that, if a kid doesn't know what else to do, they're going to keep doing what they're doing, and not knowing as in logically, knowing deeper down. So having actually practiced. So first, validating what they're feeling. Yeah, and validating is multiple steps. So validating the emotion because wow, you're feeling so angry right now. And that makes so much sense. I think if I were you, I would feel angry too with having all of this crazy chaotic stuff going on in my life and you know, being in this different home and you're probably sad. Um, and then allowing for them if they can and if they're willing to to respond and maybe correct you and you know, no, I'm not, I'm not sad. I feel this and okay. Yeah. And that makes sense. And just opening up that space for the, them to feel like their emotions do make sense and they are valid. And even naming a kid's emotion and helping them name their emotion, their emotion sends calming chemicals from the upper regions of the brain down to the lower regions of the brain. So naming it, validating it and having that conversation if possible, and then redirecting it 
what is a healthy way for them to release their anger? Are there, you know, is there a stuffed animal that they could throw across the room uh, over and over and over again until they feel better? Is there a mattress that they can punch? Is there a pillow that they can scream into? How can they release that in a different way? Or do they need um, something to squeeze, right? Like a ball to squeeze. So there could even be a specific bucket in their room of things that are for this occasion. So you validate and then take them to the bucket and even maybe do it with them the first several times. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna get our anger out because anger is okay. Anger is a perfectly fine emotion. All emotions are okay. And I like to steer away from the even talk of positive and negative emotions. I like to say comfortable and uncomfortable emotions instead. So if it's an uncomfortable emotion like sadness or anger, they're all perfectly fine. And we can release them in healthy ways that don't hurt other people. When an emotion turns into a behavior that hurts someone, that behavior becomes the problem, but it's not the emotion in itself. You know, I find that it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. Um, I, I was facilitating a, a call this morning in our, in our dad's group and, and something came up around that. And I was reminded of a book I read a while back. Um, the author is Chris Voss. The book is Never Split the Difference. He wrote this book to business professionals. But if you know Chris Voss, you know where he comes from. He was the lead negotiator, the lead hostage negotiator for the FBI's international kidnapping team. Hmm. So all the stuff in this business book he found, he learned from literally negotiating with terrorists. And if you want to meet the the most common domestic terrorist, you got to look down because they're usually a little shorter. (laughs) (laughs) I I can say that with full authority because I've had enough kids in my house to know that. And he talked about some of those skills. Labeling specifically is something we talked about in, in depth this morning about the ability to look and say, man, you look really angry. And then sit and let them process that. And when they decide that you're wrong, I'm going to tell you, they'll correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not mad. I'm sad. And they might sound angry when they say it, but they, they pretty, pretty regularly will correct you if you're wrong. And it's amazing how that works. And he tells a couple stories about some pretty significant hostage negotiations where, you know, there was lots of money and lives and things on the line where he was able to talk people down and make a hostage transfer and no money was ever exchanged because he validated what they were saying and talked about why they were, you know, why they were so upset about things. And man, and the guy, the one guy he, he ran across in a later um, inter- interaction in, in his line of work. And the guy said, I don't know what you did to me, but you made me give you a million dollars because that's what I wanted for that hostage. And you made me give you a million, like the, the guy was still blown away by the fact that, that he had, he had given, the hostage with no money transfer. And it was, it was because he used those tactics that you're talking about right there. I think it's so useful in this world. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. It's so easy for all of us to get overrun by our emotions. And especially for a kid whose brain isn't fully developed yet, they don't have as much strength or neural connectivity in that part of your brain that helps you think about consequences that helps you think about your future and what you want and who you are and your sense of meaning and purpose and identity and all of that, they're mostly just kind of reacting. And especially if they have trauma 
there were most of their neural activity is in that survival region, which is also, you know, side by side that, with that pleasure region. So it's going to be a lot of impulsivity, a lot of doing whatever feels soothing to them in the moment and a lot of black and white thinking. And that's, it's really hard as an adult with our more developed brains to look at these kids and think like, oh, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> they also are like, what, am, what on earth am I doing? Like they're not happy, right? So, so if we step back and realize like they're not trying to be like this at all, and that's where taking care of yourselves come in to play. Really important. If you're also on edge, if you're also just way overworked, then, and of course, you know, there's there's levels of privilege in that as well, right? With how, how stressed the parents are. Um, but even within a stressful life, making sure that you're taking time to decompress, to be a part of, you know, these groups, to listen to these podcasts, to not feel so alone, and then from that space, it's easier to be able to sit down with the kid and help them navigate whatever it is they're going through. Yeah, because that's one of the things. And I've been part of the leadership team on this this dad's group I'm in for a few years now. And, and I'll say that I have met more than I ever thought was possible 50-year-old um, men, grown-ass men, who are still stuck in that fight-or-flight place from places in their childhood that they have never overcome. And is it any wonder that we have the things like road rage and people running each other off the road and crazy stuff, you know, people getting beat up in McDonald's over the wrong order that, I mean, that's half of Facebook right there is, is people behaving badly because they haven't dealt with their own stuff yet. And I think yeah. that that's obviously going to be on a spectrum, but even as, as foster parents, you know, my wife and I started this journey 15 years ago and we both still had some of our own stuff we had to work through. Thank God for Dr. Tom. He's my guy. He's the guy who helps me see my blind spots. And, and that's been wildly helpful for me. But so many of us, you know, if you haven't done that work, if you haven't sat and had a professional help you walk through this sort of stuff, man, you might have years of trauma that you still need to work on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And again, it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you or that you're weak. It just means that this is what happened. It's just like if you got in a in a car crash years ago, and then now you're realizing that you have a lot of back pain that you just can't get through. It's not because you were too weak of a human to be able to get through a car crash unscathed. It just means that that happened. And now it's time to see a chiropractor, a physical therapist, you know, whatever it takes to help your body get realigned. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I really appreciate your time here today. I know um, you have your own website out there, andreahanson.net. Um, and uh, so so what do you offer on your website as far as how, is that a good place for people to get a hold of you? Do you, do you have, what do you have out there? Yeah, on my website, there are the social media icons that you can click on um, and connect to me uh, through social media if you'd like, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, are the the main places that I am. I have a Twitter a Twitter account and I have a TikTok account, but I really don't um, utilize those much. Um, but if you want to connect to me, that's a great way to do so. Um, for the most part, I work with adults at this point to work through trauma, and I've really honed in on a process that I use with adults. It typically takes about three months to really dig in and do a lot of 
um, really intensive, complex trauma. I call it recalibration because that's really what we're doing. We're not turning you into a different person. We're not, um, you know, making you better or anything. We're just taking your system and we're, we're taking it from trauma response to more of a whole just system that's in a state of flow. And I also work with, I'm certified through MAPS and through Pratty. So I also work with psychedelic assistance to be able to create some really profound uh, results with my adult clients. Uh, but I am also available for consulting, consulting with schools, consulting with teachers, consulting with parents virtually as well to help navigate these more complicated situations. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, because I don't know much about the, you know, the, the psychedelic stuff yet. I know that I've seen a lot of kind of residual noise about different stuff, you know, good old Joe Rogan, you know, you'll learn plenty about stuff like that from him. I don't know that he's the, the news source I want to get all of my news from, um, more of an entertainment source, right? But, uh, but, but there's a lot of interesting information out there around that sort of stuff about, you know, learning how to reframe things in your life in ways that that's helpful for you. And um, mm -hmm. I have one particular friend of mine who, who taught me a little bit about some of the reframing stuff and, and the power that comes out. You, you talked about, uh, about, you mentioned Carl Jung earlier, and I believe he was, uh, Jung was, uh, was really big into the archetype stuff, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So like the archetypal stories that, that we all have, the, the, the fear that we all have about standing in front of the classroom, because you probably had this dream if you're listening to this, standing in front of the classroom in your underwear and you don't know why, right? So I can tell this story um, about one of my kids who ended up exactly in that place. Um, the, the, the long and the short of it was he had to go change clothes at the, in the, up in the nurse's office, um, and the nurse had handed him some clothes, and she handed him a pair of boxer shorts to put on. And she didn't, you know, didn't get to the other clothes yet. Then somebody else came in and needed to, you know, one of the other teachers or somebody came in. We need you nurse so-and-so for this real quick. And she told him, put those on. I'll be right back, buddy. So he puts them on and just, he knows and wear boxer shorts. As far as he's concerned, he's wearing shorts. And she hadn't come back in the appropriate amount of time for his brain to think it was right. So he throws his shoes on and goes back to class, walks into class, and a whole bunch of kids start pointing and laughing and 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 he's literally at seven years old living out the nightmare of of most adult humans he's standing in front of his class realizing he's wearing underwear and That's i mean so sad right how how but he told me that some of his friends were telling the other kids to shut up and i'm like dude that's amazing you have you have some awesome friends yeah. like they were willing to stand up for you like that and, and having to learn how to reframe that stuff so that you know he he doesn't have to have a whole I mean, it's still a it's still a rough memory for him i'm certain but we were able to reframe that in a way that that isn't all bad you know oh yeah yeah totally it's like the um I just love that Inside Out show that Pixar did a few years ago mm, where yeah. it goes back and it shows those memories, how they happy and sad can come together at the same time or, you know, feeling fortified by the sense of kinship and belonging while feeling ostracized and embarrassed. It can it can happen at the same time where we're spacious enough as humans to be able to hold those two as long as we allow ourselves to. That's awesome that you had that conversation with him and helped him fortify that the other piece of that memory. 
Oh man, I'm going to tell you, I, I was pretty proud of myself. As soon as I got done with that conversation, I thought, where did that come from? That had to be God pouring language into my head. Cause I'm not that smart, that fast. You I can usually <laughs> come up with something like that 30 minutes later after I needed it, but it, it, it like in the moment he heard yeah. what he needed to hear, but you know, and this kid has been through some stuff and he's got it. He's got some stories and we're trying to help him walk through all these things and man just as as foster parents as adoptive parents some of the situations we find ourselves in are so dang tricky to walk through in the moment and so having somebody you know like you on board would be great to to keep our you know always keep our mindset in that place where we're not ready to just roll over and go oh that's terrible (laughs) like you did what oh so you know I'm so because I'm certain he probably would have appreciated something maybe feeling a little bit sorry for him but at the same time I didn't want to have a wholly bad story in his mind yeah yeah definitely and and both can happen at the same time as well right that validating of like oh man like that sucks that's so hard I'm so sorry you went through that and it sounds like these kids you know we're really there for you and that's that's awesome you have people who really care about you and that's it's called dialectics in therapy that those, um, you know, two seemingly opposite things can, can happen at the same time. Yeah. I love that idea because I, I was, I wasn't the popular kid in school. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a, uh, I grew up with in a religious organization that kind of intentionally ostracized ourselves. And I will say that at least from my, my experience, it, it seemed like something more cult-like than anything else. Um, and that caused me a lot of those struggles and I did not have any, this wasn't a conversation in, in, in current culture in the 1980s. Right. You know, you were told yeah. to shut up and you'll be, you know, just shut up and go do what you're told and you'll be okay. It'll be all right. Just go on, suck it up, man up, pull yourself up yeah. by your bootstraps. And you don't know how hard it is for me to hear the random parents say stuff like that to their kid in public with, without me walking over and correcting them. <laughs> <laughs> I have the advantage. I can usually walk over and correct most parents like that if I wanted to without worrying too much because I'm I'm the big guy. I'm not small. You know, I'm over six foot tall. But I imagine that as a therapist, that's probably something you see on a regular basis out in public as parents doing things like that that make you crazy. And you probably don't have the the, the room to, to correct people in public as much as you would like. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, everywhere and social media as well, not just parents, but um, self-proclaimed experts, self-proclaimed, you know, people who want to to say that they are the authority on a certain topic. That's the majority of what circulates um, social media because therapists have more uh, ethics and more just kind of reason around not giving broad sweeping advice to everybody on the internet so there's the loudest voices on the internet are people who are not licensed and not trained but they they get taken very seriously and i see the ramifications of that within my clients as well who are you know parroting or who are matching up with these things that they're seeing pretty consistently online and like uh yeah it is (laughs) it's hard to not be out there you know just telling everybody to stop it but you know what (laughs) So you're not ready. There are to, plenty of great books out there too. You're not ready to espouse the benefits of, of having three life coaches run your life for you. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you. It's it's life is nuanced and difficult and challenging, and social media has has brought that to the forefront because nuance is lost 
in in mm. the pithy little you know 140 characters or whatever it used to be that twitter restricted you to right yeah exactly uh, yeah well thank you so much for your time today andrea i appreciate you coming on and sharing some of your knowledge and, and experience with us because these are things that that we need to be reminded of on a regular basis and i think that oftentimes it's it's difficult as we we see people that we care about go through these mm-hmm. hard things and we don't always know how to how to uh, deal with it how to talk about it the language around it what makes this how, what can i do to make this better for this kid especially as, as a foster parent or you know somebody who's an adoptive parent who man there's there's tons of like one kid you could you could spend years writing several you know, PhD dissertations on, on this kid and what they go, the nuances are incredibly difficult in the folds and, and different pieces of the story that you have to bring out to truly understand them. And, and if you have more than one kid, that just gets exponentially bigger and harder. Yes, absolutely. And we're, um, we're currently going through, uh, through a process of looking at a 504 program for, uh, for one of our sons. And I swear, I, I felt like, the they give you this form to fill out and you have this little bitty section to write in and I, i'm not i'm not a great rule follower sometimes so i got on the computer and i i, I just section b question a and it was a page and a half that i typed out yeah. i'm like there's there's a lot here we can't just like focus on what i can write down in this tiny little space this is this is an incredibly difficult and nuanced situation and it's hard hard to put into a short pithy sentence what it is so that you can just come up with a quick solid easy little answer because we don't have quick easy quick easy solid answers for most of these problems right yeah it's definitely nothing's ever as quick and easy as any form or any diagram or anything like that is able to encapsulate humans are just vastly more complex but if it was, we could put it on a PDF and I could sell it to you for $47 online. True. <laughs> Do I sound like I met a few life coaches? <laughs> yeah. yeah, or you could spread it out with some videos and sell it for 3000 Either way. Or we could just create a week or a monthly price tag and we could just get you on that uh, that Netflix uh, type uh, recurring charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, th- I got some business ideas here that, that we need to talk about because I, I, need, I need to be able to quit my day job. Good. That's great. Yeah, that's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you, Jason. I'll talk to you later. Okay, Foster Care Nation. Thank you for listening to Andrea's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at jason at fostercarenation.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. Don't forget, we have an account over at Buy Me A Coffee. It's like a virtual tip jar where you can help us fund our mission for as little as much as you want. It's at buymeacoffee.com slash fostercare. The links to everything is in the show notes in your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Unparalleled Studios.